If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hey everyone, welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. I am Keith Giles. I am one of your many co-hosts for the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. And we are in our final episode of the Conspiracy Theory series. So prepare yourself. Get ready, everybody. Um, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Katie, Derek, and Matt. So say hi and introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Ballantyne. Uh, I'm deep in my bunker, and I will admit that I've had a few Conspiracy Theory dreams as we've been doing this series. And I'm very uh, happy that we're wrapping up so that my dream life can return to normal. But I've been thrilled to do the series. And I am Derek Day. I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion, and I'm also the host of the Forward Podcast. Silence. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> silence. No, I, I thought I thought and professional asshole though, right? No, 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 no. no I, I am actually the nicest motherfucker in this group. <laughs> and, I like that better. And I and I pity the fool who will argue with me. <laughs> and and I'm Matthew DiStefano. And guys, I have an announcement. Is it okay if I have if I give you give you all an announcement? And it's no that it's not that we have a hotline. Oh, we all know that Jamal has told us. Thank you, God. Thank, thank you. No, I have a real announcement today. I'm really excited. I want to tell everyone that is listening off the top that if you go to our website, we have a brand new bookstore. Yeah, baby. For all you, yes, for all you people who like to read books, which should be everyone because we're all authors here. So, um, if you go to our bookstore. What you're going to find at this bookstore is books from former Heretics of the Week. Head on over to heretichappyhour.com and check out that bookstore. It's a win-win. You're going to get some good prices over there. You're going to save some money and you're going to help support the show. So I just was soaked about that and I wanted to make sure I get that out there right off the top. Sweet. Shagadelic, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, it took everything in me when you said you had an announcement not to sing the announcement songs from camp. I don't, from I don't, I don't know what that is. It's a band camp? You all didn't have the announcement song? I didn't, your, well, I didn't go to camp. I didn't go to camp. You didn't, we didn't have go money. to Christian camps? Nope. nope. Hell, hell Thank no. God, no, I did not. Well, there's someone, some listeners out there are singing in their heads right now, announcements, announcements, announcements. What a terrible way to die. What a terrible way to die. Terrible, horrible, wow. something, something. Terrible way to die. Announcements, announcements, announcements. That's and it cultish. gets very raucous. <laughs> okay, that's that's enough. That's enough. That sounds, that sounds like one of Dwight Schrute's cautionary tales for children. Yeah, I, was, I was having Jim Jones flashbacks there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you've also sung the announcement songs, hit us up on Facebook so that we'll know and we can make a pillow for you. Yes, thank you. There, there, there you go. And guess what? We have a hotline. Hotline, hotline. Oh, yeah. I love it. Man, you guys are on it. And so if you want to reach us, send us a text, send us a message. You can do so by exercising finger dexterity with that index finger and dialing 240-343-7379. Once again, it's 240-343-7379. And roll that beautiful voicemail footage. Yeah, this is Kaylin Elliott. I'm a new listener from Springfield, Missouri. And I just wanted to make sure this was the right phone number. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Bye. So that's it? You just making sure it was turned on? 
do we do we have a screener? Does anyone screen these things? Apparently not. I think that was a lovely that was a lovely voicemail. Thank you very much. Galen, we appreciate, I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, it works. We have our deepest sympathy though for being from Springfield, Missouri. But other than that, Springfield, Springfield, it's a hell of a town. Yeah. Is that what is that what the Simpsons is based off? Which Springfield is it? I, I think you're was, not supposed to know. No, I thought it's a conspiracy. No, I thought he said no, it was in Washington. Nothing. Isn't there one in Washington? But from 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 the middle of Springfield, from Mount Springfield, you could see four different states. So it has to be Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, or what's the fourth? I don't know. Or it's just a cartoon. I'm yeah, bringing this full circle because one of the YouTubes I watched to prepare for how people think about conspiracy theories, there was a whole one based on Simpsons and predictions that they have made oh. that have come true. Oh, over yeah. the past I mean, my kids years. are all into that. That's exactly. in that, that, that is true. There are some crazy things they predicted. But we have also <laughs> a text. <laughs> Thanks for show. bringing it back home, Derek. Back to the show. <laughs> Hey, stay on point, guys. I'm sorry. Guys, focus, focus, Danielson. Squirrel. Somebody say squirrel. Yes. <laughs> so we have a text and the text reads, so I hear you guys might have a hotline, but you might not actually check it. So fuck. <laughs> Guess I'm screwed. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the Ark in Kentucky and the whole ham thingy? That's spelled H-A-M-M. Love the H-H-H. That stands for Heretic Happy Hour, in case you're wondering. Love y'all. Y'all rock. Is that the same guy? I think he called us first and then he sent us a text because he wasn't sure. I guess he thought we were going to answer the phone or something. Oh, that's funny. Uh, well, so I guess the only question there really is about this, uh, the, that giant arc, right? That Ken Ham, I think that means. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love accidental humor. So I love it. Yeah. So I, uh, I have no words for how I could not be persuaded to step foot on that arc. It would, no. I would, I would have to recover from that for six months. Uh, oh, I, I would, I would, I would go. I think you would make uh if you had like a YouTube channel and you were always there, I think you'd get, a, you, you could have some fun with it unless you got kicked out. No, right. you know, like if they, if they had like a wash basin somewhere in there, I'd stick my finger in it. Like Robert, De, uh, yeah, like Robert De Niro in, or not Al Pacino in the devil's advocate, you know, he sticks his finger in there and it starts boiling and all kinds of shit starts happening. That's what I would do. <laughs> my finger in the, in the basin and watch everything. Just <laughs> let's go to hell. So we're, we're saying for a humorous good time, if you're not going to be traumatized, visit the ark, but I would be loath to give anyone money. Yeah. It's hey, Katie, you know, I would pay money to see you go on that arc and sing that announcement song. Oh, I could do that with my heart. That might make it worth it. So, I mean, I, I think yeah, I, I think about the arc in Kentucky about on the same level as I think about the flat earth, you know, thing. Uh, I would go there maybe just to get an ironic T-shirt or something, uh, but I would, couldn't really do it with a straight face. I would, that would just be so bizarre. Okay, but the second part of the text, the whole ham thingy, um, I don't think we're going to have time to deconstruct the whole like racism around ham, the the child of Noah, but it, it might make a good topic for the future. So oh, no, 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 no. I think he, no? he means Ken Ham. What? Ken Ham, yeah. Ken Ham. Ken Ham. He, he, he built the ark. Oh, this works on a couple of levels. I wasn't even getting the joke at the beginning. See, I was, I was thinking oh. they're talking about Kentucky, so maybe it was canned ham. I thought it was like <laughs> ham as the forerunner for racism for no. racist theories. Oh, no, no. It was, it's uh. See, listen, you gotta you gotta bone up on your creation, young earth theology, I, Katie. Apparently, I know. Yeah, I know you, the code that, words. That, this thing is rich, and and I mean, it's not even just double entendre, man. I mean, it's just. 
I'm trying Tundra Rich. I think I know what my uh, video is going to be for this month for this <laughs> conspiracy theories. I'll be ta- apparently I'll be talking about ham and theories around ham and how they're wrong. Ham, ham. You're gonna go all ham on them. Like apparently. <laughs> all right. There you go. Well, th- thanks for texting and calling in. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Yes, indeed. I guess we're gonna have to move on to our next bit. Let's go on to our heretic of the week and see what he has to say. It's the heretic of the week. My name is Blake, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Blake. It feels so good to get that off my chest. Well, you're in you're in good company here on the Heretic Happy Hour. So, welcome, Blake. What we want to do, uh, which is what we do with every guest, is is kick it off by asking, why are you a heretic and why would people consider you a heretic? Mm. Yeah, um, you know, I think it probably all started for me when I began listening to my heart, which we all know is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. <laughs> uh, and so I, I'm a heretic because I think... Uh, you know, uh, any theology that leads to an inordinate percentage of LGBTQ youth uh, seriously contemplating suicide should maybe be reconsidered. Um, I'm a heretic because mm, don't really uh, jive all that well anymore with penal substitutionary atonement. Um, I think I'm a heretic probably because I think that a lot of systematic theology is at least from an, a literary standpoint just kind of bad storytelling mm. um yeah and probably because i just i haven't really decided yet like how i feel about any sort of religious identification uh, with even the term christian or whether that's comfortable to use or not comfortable so kind of in uh in between land and uh yeah a lot of people have called me a heretic for that. So, so technically, you might be an apostate, then, right? Eh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That that term fits. Maybe that's. Are heretic. you still a heretic if you don't identify as Christian? Mm. Or does that put you in heretic freeland? I don't know. So here's the thing: is I think that question hinges on like, can I can I form my identity in a vacuum, right? Or does my identity depend on? the communities that I've been a part of and that I continue to be a part of. Right. Cause I guess like if my identity is purely like my religious identity is purely something that I do by myself, um, in my own space, then I guess I could just kind of withdraw from Christendom and do my own thing. And, and I guess I could just avoid the term heretic altogether, but I'm, I guess maybe I'm more prone to think that, um, since I've been in, a community for years and years and years uh, with other people who would self-identify as Christian, then um, I'm thinking even, even if I feel uncomfortable with that label, I'm still in some way beholden to that community. And then therefore, yeah, still, uh, I guess the term heretic is, is still something that I would need to wrestle with. So if you, if you don't identify as a Christian, but you uh, refuse to call yourself a heretic, then that means you've gone full heretic. You've gone full heretic. <laughs> yes, I've gone right there over the go. edge. Yeah, the heretic uh, cliff. Yep. All right. You're in good company. Well, you, yeah, you are in good company. And and it's funny because the show actually started by uh, us critiquing penal substitution atonement theory. And then 
when we brought Katie and Derek on the show, we, we kind of revisited that topic and recently, somewhat recently, had a, an episode on penal substitutionary atonement theory. And it's just so fascinating that you would mention that. And, and a lot of people do mention that, that it, it has nothing to do with, with historic Christianity or having to affirm a certain mm-hmm. atonement theory. And yet, for many Christians, at least here in America, um, someone's orthodoxy or so-called orthodoxy hinges on how you talk about the atonement. Mm, yes. Yeah. Well, and I also, I, I'm also coming out of a reformed tradition and would have, I would have called myself like five years ago, like a five point Calvinist. And so, I mean, penal substitutionary atonement, it was very important, um, at least in my little corner of reformed land. Um, it, I mean, to such an extent, like, I, I mean, I heard plenty of pastors say that it, like, if, if you don't grasp that particular um, notion, then, then you kind of can't call yourself a Christian. Yeah. It's kind of been conflated as the gospel, right? I mean, the atonement theory yeah. is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard that said many times. Yeah. Well, so, you were only a five point Calvinist. I think Piper called himself a seven point Calvinist. Seven point, yes. <laughs> a little yeah. less to deconstruct. Yeah. No yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a few, few fewer, sharper yeah, edges. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> basically, uh, for for the Piper crowd, if you're if you're you know fewer than seven points, or definitely fewer than five, then you're definitely a heretic. Yes, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I mean going back to the the Christian thing, I, I do want to clarify that while I don't necessarily feel like comfortable with that term, I also most of the time don't feel comfortable n- like not identifying at it if as, as a Christian, if that makes any sense, like there's this tension. Um, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about who Jesus is to you now. Yeah. Um, I, Jesus is a person that I still hold a great amount of affection for, um, a, a person whose life I'm still incredibly interested in and a person whose life I consider, um, uh, one in which I would want to like model my own life after, um, which like sounds on, on, the things that I just said would have been called heretical like five years ago in my own mind. But um, I mean, that's it, it, essentially like that's the, it, the furthest that I can feel that I can go right now. Um, and I think part of that is just because of like where I'm at emotionally with uh, just like, things that have happened, like wounds that I, I still carry and I'm recovering from. And, uh, and so I think my, my willingness to go there is sort of like, almost like I have this like relationship with Jesus in which I felt really wounded. And so for like a while I was like, I don't even, I, I don't want to be close to you. And I think it's only now that I'm just like, okay, like I'm willing to, to sit down at a table and discuss. Um, but I don't know if I, I trust you yet sort of thing. If I can put it in like relational emotional terms so yeah i oh sorry go ahead no no, i was gonna say so so you you see uh do you are you still on the jesus's savior trip or jesus's paradigm jesus's what what um yeah um well i I mean jesus's savior like for me i would i would be like well okay so like what is jesus saving me from right like before it would be like this concept of sin um uh original sin you know uh um, total depravity. Right. Um, and now it's sort of like, maybe I've, 
I think maybe I've drifted closer to um, I what I understand right now to be more like quote unquote orthodox, like not not as in like like a uh, traditional, but as in like the orthodox church kind of ideas mm-hmm. of like wellness and uh, sickness. Um, so in, in the sense that Jesus is making me well, um, uh, maybe I, I lean into that. But I I think just like I was saying, like I I think I'm. I'm learning to accept the fact that I'm at a point where those intellectual exercises are happening for me in a place that's completely disconnected from my emotional experiences with them because it's almost like I needed to draw these rigid boundaries around some deep pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's even hard to, um, I guess, determine, you know, like what resonates with me, like what seems the most true uh, outside of just like a purely intellectual exercise, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And I love it that you, the image you brought, like you're willing now, you know, you're willing to sit across the table from Jesus. And my, my concept anyway of God and of Jesus is like, they're totally cool with that. Like God is definitely big enough to have the capacity for us to be really angry and to experience the trauma and I just hear you creating this container for you to explore all of the questions, which is, you know, great. Uh, even when it sucks that we have to do it. Yeah. Um, so I teach ethics at, uh, at a, uh, massage school that, um, I used to go to. And, uh, when I teach ethics, I, I think about, um, uh, power differentials. So I, I'm going somewhere with this. Just, just trust me. But, um, so as a massage therapist, if someone comes into my office and, uh, trust me to take care of them and they get down on my table, they're putting themselves in a vulnerable position. Any healthcare practitioner knows that there's a inherent power differential that exists in that treatment room. All right. Me by right of carrying in the education and the experience and the knowledge I'm, uh, at the top of that power differential, you know, and my client is at the bottom and, and my job is not to get rid of that power differential, but to handle that power differential in a, in a way that puts my client's needs before my own. And I, I feel like with Christianity, I, I just feel like so many Christians are walking around the world as if they're at the, the top of these power differentials and, and everyone else uh, who I don't know is quote unquote, a heretic or, doesn't believe in penal substitutionary atonement or who is quote unquote lost is kind of, um, at the bottom end of this power differential, you know? And, and, uh, so it, it, I think even when I look at my own experiences, um, I, I honestly for a long time created this, uh, hierarchy within myself, um, in which, kind of all of these ideas about spirituality and religion that I'd ever had in my life were kind of subjugated to this Christian framework, um, where, where, you know, uh, kind of my Christian hat was on the top and, um, all of the, all of the other viewpoints and experiences that I've had were below that, or maybe kind of exiled. Um, and so what I guess coming back to where I feel like I'm at now is all of those different religious identities and expressions that I've been carrying within me, almost like, um, like inner children in a sense, kind of these, these 
versions of me that believe different things that are suspended in motion within me are now all at the table together and we're all consulting each other and there's no hierarchy. Um, so that's why I say like, yes, like there's a Christian inside of me, but uh, it doesn't seem to adequately describe the sum of my identity or experience. So let me ask you this, Blake. Um, this is this yeah. is the tent peg question or the line in the sand question. Where, At what point did you basically have an awakening or um, a conscious moment, you know, where you, where you said, okay, now this is where I'm turning this corner from where I was to where I'm going. What, what happened, what happened that, um, what was the driver into this point of heresy, if you will? Yeah. Gosh. I mean, it's a long story. Um, first of all, I'm gay. I'm a gay man. Um, and I, landed in Christianity when I was in my teens. Uh, my parents, like not religious at all, antagonistic to Christianity. And so um, I, I think most of my time within Christianity, I was using it as a tool to, you know, suppress or repress um, my sexuality to build a life that I thought was um, the most uh, um, righteous, uh, mm-hmm um, life to live before God. And, um, so late in my twenties, um, I was, uh, leading small groups at my church. I was talking to, you know, uh, some of my best friends in that church who were pastors and elders, um, about sexuality. And I, I wouldn't have called myself affirming. I, um, you know, had a stint in conversion therapy, Um, so I was kind of this model sexual minority, um, within my church. I'm, I've always been like relatively straight passing, which just means, you know, like I could easily pass for a straight dude, like most days of the week. Um, and, uh, I think (laughs) maybe as a result of that, my, um, my pastors encouraged me to marry a woman because I told them that I was really depressed and, um, didn't really know how to reconcile my sexuality with, um, this version of reformed theology. And, uh, so I did, and that was mostly because, yeah, I I deeply did believe that I I couldn't trust my own experiences, you know, like the heart is deceitful above all things. Um, and so it was like, well, if I can't trust that, the only thing I can do is, is trust these outside voices. And so that's kind of what I did. I would take those voices, um, kind of wholesale, and anyway, eventually, um, that led me to some pretty dark places where, um, I, uh, realized that, um, that framework just, it wasn't sustainable. Um, and that the fruit that it was producing was all bad, even though I was promised that, you know, even if, even if there wasn't like, you know, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you, you, you know, the normal versions of, of Christian fruit that, you know, at least I would have more of Jesus if I were, um, to kind of listen to my pastors and, and live a, um, you know, heterosexual Christian married life. But I, I just got to the point where I was like, there's no Jesus here either. Oh. Um, there's no good fruit and there's no Jesus here. And, um, and that's when things got really dark. And, uh, and so that prompted me to reevaluate, um, things 
emotionally. Um, and I mean, there's, there's a whole process that happened intellectually as well. I mean, um, I'm, I'm, I also, I'm a writer and I love to write fiction. Um, and I, I began realizing through, uh, kind of critiques of my own writing being very plot heavy and having little character development that I realized, um, when I was, I was kind of the same problems that I was having in my own writing, I was having in my own like hermeneutic of scripture where, you know, like every story in the Bible is, uh, supposed to be kind of run through this lens of Jesus as if every other story in the Bible is a Jesus story. Mm -hmm. And I just realized that's, that's actually like really plot heavy, like hermeneutic. Like, it's not like, there's no character development. Uh, it's like from a literary standpoint, like it's, it's not good storytelling. Um, and so that's when I was like, Oh, like what if systematic theology isn't working for me? What if, um, inerrancy is something that I need to reconsider. And, um, to be honest, I feel like, you know, once inerrancy, uh, came under, uh, came under fire for me, it was like, that was kind of the linchpin, you know, it was like, all of a sudden I had to, um, reconsider everything. So I I say all that to say, like, it was kind of simultaneously this intellectual and emotional, um, catastrophe (laughs) for lack of a better word. I I gotta um, tell you something. You, you said something here that really resonated with me and I'm going to, you, you, you guys will hear this said again, is this plot heavy hermeneutic, you know, that, that, that basically Mm -hmm. you have to find Jesus woven into everything. And, and when, when I was taught, you know, my, my, um, uh, journey into, into theology, that was the, that was the narrative, you know, basically that, that Jesus was in everything. But if you, if you look at it from, if you take away inerrancy, now it's okay. Jesus really isn't hiding around every corner. He, he's, you know, he's, he's not peeking out, you know, uh, you know, the voyeur Jesus. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. Boy, I'll tell you. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, that that, yes, that, that one's going to be repeated too. But yeah, go ahead, Blake. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just no. That, I mean, that that that's exactly it. I love that idea of voyeur Jesus. You know, peeking around the corner, like like you know, it, it, every story that I'm supposed to approach within Scripture is um, uh, kind of laid over top of the Jesus story, and uh, there's no other way to um, interpret that. And and honestly, as a, a uh, a person who is prone to loving um, plot heavy writing myself. I think that was one of the reasons that drew me into reform theology. Cause I was like, man, this feels really cohesive. Hmm. Um, you know, this feels like a uh, foreshadowing all over the place. This feels like an M night Shyamalan movie, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, like the more that I, I actually got into the details is, um, is when that started uh, falling apart a little bit. Yeah. One of the images that came to me as you were describing your experience is, you know, when we have a house, um, uh, like a house of cards almost, and when you pull out one, they all come tumbling mm-hmm. down. And what I'm hearing, mm-hmm. tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're now building your house on a house of rock, to use the parable. Mm-hmm. You know, a house of rock instead of um, built on built on a foundation of rock instead of a foundation of stand, sand. And I'm curious, what has opened up for you now that's been life-giving, even in the middle of all the wrestling and all the questions? And I'm thinking especially around, you know, sexual orientation. Oh, my gosh, what, it's such a huge identity and a core being of, of who we are. And to yeah. affirm that and affirm that as part mm-hmm. of our spirituality. And I'm kind of curious where you are 
and that part of your journey and what, um, what gifts maybe have come to you as a result? Yeah. Uh, gosh. And I don't um, want to, um, sorry, I'll, I don't want to, um, peg hole you into only talking about sexuality, but that's, uh, you know, it yeah, sounds like yeah. a huge part of your journey too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it's funny cause, um, I, uh, I have a, a boyfriend now, I have a partner and we've been together about a year and, uh, it's, it's so interesting that so many of like so much of the relationship advice that I got while, um, in that reformed community was actually, was really good relationship advice. Like, um, like the advice to wake up every morning and choose my partner, right? Like that, that I, I actually know what that feels like now, you know, that, that, Whereas in, in a different context, in my previous context, like in a context where um, I was trying to carry out that advice in a context that uh, didn't, that wasn't suitable for me, um, it was reparative therapy. You know, like in one context, it's, it's life-giving and in another context, it's, um, it's death-bringing. Uh, sort of like, you know, if you would think of... Uh, a pine tree, you know, like you can put a pine tree on a beach and like do all of the things you're supposed to do to care for a pine tree, but that pine tree is still not going to grow right there. Like the treatment that you would normally give the pine tree is just going to bring death for that pine tree if it's in, planted in the wrong context. So, um, on this side, it's like, Oh, um, you know, at first I thought I had to just walk away from that house of cards, right? Just like there are no cards in this deck that are worth anything. And now it's like, no, like, um, there are some that are, there, there's some really, uh, there's some golden nuggets in there, you know, that, um, are worth bringing along. And I think the beauty of it is I didn't have permission or I didn't give myself permission before to actually look through the deck. You know, I had to either accept the whole thing or reject the whole thing. Um, and, uh, so one of the joys has been getting to the bottom of, okay, like, maybe I do get to decide what I believe, <laughs> you know, like maybe I do get to piece things together or at least get to explore, you know, and give myself permission to ask tough questions and, um, accept that maybe I don't arrive at, um, a succinct or tidy answer. And I think that that's actually cool because at the end of the day, our faith is a personal thing and we have to own mm. what we believe. And and I, I think yeah. the part of the problem with um, with religion in general is that instead of owning what we believe, we we try to lease what someone else believes and appropriate mm -hmm. it as yeah. our own. Mm -hmm. So I, I like that. Absolutely. Yeah, Alan Alan Watts, I believe it said, um, "Religion's the only thing that will uh, steal your watch from you and try to sell it back to you." <laughs> I thought that was a pretty apt analogy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, for Politi sure. Politics too, but yeah. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Mm -hmm. Two sides of the same coin. Um, so speaking, returning back to the theme of voyeurism, how can people find you, and <laughs> how can they be voyeurs for you? What, yes, the, what, um, tell us what you got going on, so people will yeah. know about your music and uh, yeah, how to be in touch. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, uh, voyeurism. So my OnlyFans is uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So you can find me on. Um, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, it's just Blake A. Mundell. My website for my new project is, uh, humanbecoming.net. That's the name of the project. And then, uh, my artist name is, is Courier. So, um, 
you can, you know, search that on whatever music service you listen to. And uh, the website for that is therealcourier.com. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I have listened to a couple of your songs and, and I love them. They were great. So I would encourage our <laughs> listeners to definitely go check that out. Thank you. I appreciate right that. I'm, I'm excited. And just as a um, final 30 second note, how are your parents thinking about your spiritual journey now since you were annoying them <laughs> since they were, when you were in high school? Yeah. Um, they are some of the most supportive people in the world. And I'm sad that um, my experiences in conversion therapy and Christianity kind of taught me that um, they would, they were harm to me when in fact, they're, they're some of the most supportive, beautiful people in my life. So I'm kind of rekindling a a new relationship with them that I'm really excited about. Oh, that's amazing. I love it that it comes around full circle like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Blake, for, for spending a half an hour with us. Um, Appreciate it a lot, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. I love talking to you. Great conversation. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Cheers. Wow. That was awesome. Um, that that was a great interview. Um, I, sorry guys, I guess I was asleep during that whole interview. (sighs) Maybe my mic was muted or something. We missed your voice, but it was really fun to talk to Blake and hear, uh, (laughs) hear all of his story. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Great interview, Blake. It was good, good talking to you. And, and, um, just the, the whole thing about how you, um, went from, I guess like near fundamentalist Christianity to, uh, you know, discovering your, uh, your sexuality and, and, um, and just being able to, uh, to break free from religious strongholds. That's always the goal, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are, here we are in the final, we got to move on. We got to get to our topic here in the final, We're in the finals, the, the one, the one, the finals, this is game seven. <laughs> and this is the one I'm actually excited about because I think I'm finally going to get on the board yeah, right. for affirming, <laughs> affirming a, a conspiracy. Really? Nice. Nice. Yeah. So. From downtown. <laughs> Listeners, if you're, if you're wondering right now, who is the most likely among the four of us to believe in conspiracy theories, you need to get that settled in your mind because there's going to be a tally. At the end of the episode. Oh, will you? Oh, good. You'll give us a, like a total count. Yes. Oh, good. I, thank you. I can't wait to hear. Although I think I know the answer already, but yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah. All right. So what are we so doing? What, what, what do we want to start? You want to start with uh, with JFK? The mother of all conspiracy theories. I think this is the one that really launched the whole thing. Um, JF mother F and K. John fucking Kennedy. <laughs> we can bring this back to last week's just to start us because one of the theories was that JFK Jr. didn't really die. Oh, coming that back is, like King Arthur. That's yeah, boy. I'm glad we've dealt well, with that already. That, that, Family that's legacy. Pizza gate. <laughs> that's so that's some bullshit, but total bullshit. Um, I think, I think I'm actually, I think I'm actually, I don't believe the official story of JFK and it's because it's all, I, it, it to me, it just, it sounds crazy it doesn't make sense it doesn't even match the evidence this is this is a reason why i think this theory has persisted so long is that we had this sort of official story but then when you know you look go and look at any of the evidence it's even some of the basic evidence almost none of it makes any sense all right so tell me what is the what's the official story and who's the official story by and then what's the conspiracy theory well i mean the official story is that oswald acted alone uh, up in the book depository, there were three shots. The first one missed. The second one is the magic bullet. It, uh, you know, it goes through Kennedy. It hits uh, Governor Governor Connolly. Yep. yep. But it takes a, twists and turns and goes up and down. 
and 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 then it it's there resting on the uh on the, on the stretcher on the stretcher it's not even like it's almost perfect and then the shot the third shot is the fatal shot uh and then was it a couple days later jack ruby killed oswald yeah and uh and then you've got the warren the warren, warren commission. commission they're the ones who are going to investigate it they determined that that's the official story that one lone gunman up from the book depository, uh, whacked Kennedy. Yeah. Now let me let me say something from someone who's actually witnessed something like that in real life. It, there's this thing called ballistics, mm-hmm. and in the case of ballistics, when you look at uh, the entry wound from a gunshot, is always cleaner than the ex- is always cleaner than the exit wound. Exactly. And, and and so what happened, the, the, the shot that actually killed Kennedy was a shot that had to have hit him from the front because the exit wound came out of the back and, and a piece of his head went on the back of the car. That's right. And, and it was it was something that apparently was so shocking that Jackie Kennedy jumped out of her seat to try to retrieve that piece of his head. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now. If you're if you're looking at Oswald and and from the book depository, that is a shot from the rear. Right. That's the only way that he's making that shot. And my brother in law, fun fact, works in the book depository building. No. So I've actually been there. Yeah. So you could see you could see right where they where the parade route passed. And in order, for, first of all, the the other thing is that Oswald was shooting with a bolt action rifle. Yeah, there is absolutely no way that he could have fired off three shots. Not that quick. Not that quick. No, nope. it's impossible. No, nope. and 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 there have been people. Um, you know, I think Richard Marchenko, the uh, the founder of the Navy SEALs, that he actually attempted it. And 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 Marchenko's a badass dude, and and he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. No shooter has ever accomplished that nobody right yeah there's just again and thank you guys for going like rapid fire down the list because that those are the those are the major parts of the conspiracy uh, there's also i mean because uh, the lone gunman theory is just is ludicrous and, and and here's the thing about the i guess the part of what makes a part of the conspiracy seem to me so conspiratorial is it doesn't make any sense that our own government would would not even say that there. it's possible that there could have been other gunmen. Like to just insist, nope, there was only one gunman and it was Oswald. And to not say, well, yeah, it kind of, you know, there are reasons to think that maybe there were other gunmen, you know, on the grassy knoll or whatever, um, be, because of this kind of evidence. Like, but, but again, it's the insistence that, nope, absolutely not. There is only one. And so, you well, know what I mean? Like there, their, their insistence on that is sort of suspicious. Like there, there why would you do that? Of folks that had, they had some skin in the game that it, it would make sense if you were looking for, for people that uh, potential culprits. Um, one is uh, Castro. Um, that's, you know, that's been one that's floated that he, it, you know, pissed off about the pay of pigs. Uh, the second one is uh, the mafia that um, they were, upset about how um, Marilyn Monroe was treated by the Kennedy brothers and Joe DiMaggio, uh, who was Marilyn's ex-husband and who actually was the one who uh, handled all of her arrangements when she died, that he had connections with the mob and that they took him out. And then the last one is, is the most, um, the most over the top. And that's that the CIA 
did it and and that there was there was some um concern about the uh the bay of pigs again that um that they were that the cia was upset because kennedy had actually spoken on breaking up the uh, the american intelligence agencies so those are the three culprits that I know of. Now, if you guys know of any others, I'd surely love to hear it, but so, that's what I know. Yeah, so um, I guess I'm going to kind of tip my hand a little bit here because um, if you're going to call the, the the CIA theory the, the most over-the-top one, then I just kind of have to admit that I, I kind of think the CIA one is the one I, I tend to believe because I it feels to me, again, like our own government is is complicit in sort of covering some things up and not that, like, again, I don't understand why we would be complicit in covering some things up, like continuing even to this day to mm-hmm. keep certain files sealed. Like, what, like, so in other words, if it was the mafia, why would you seal that? Who's going to get upset about, oh, no, it was the mafia or, oh, no, it was Castro. Like, we would be like, well, yeah, those guys are enemies, uh, they're criminals, whatever. But uh, to me, it feels like one of the reasons well, you would keep part, it sealed is that it would. Why you couldn't go after either one of those? You couldn't go. You couldn't go after uh, Castro because of the fiasco at the Bay of Pigs, and and you already just just stared down Khrushchev and the Russians. But this with is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, but this so, is 2020. So, is what I'm saying is that we still I, yeah. haven't unsealed these documents, and so yeah, that what, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that that. But, to but me you know what? Though, to to be honest, Keith, I'm really on board with you on this one. Yeah. Well, thank that, you. That's where All I right. hang my head. Yeah. But it's the most outrageous of the three theories. All right. So I've got a, um, a question. Is it a conspiracy theory if we say, or if, if anyone says, you know, Oswald didn't act alone? Is that in, is that in and of itself just like um, going up against the Warren uh, condition? Yeah. Is, yeah. That, is that Absolutely. making a conspiracy theory? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because, because someone would have had to conspire to do it. Yes. And, and Oswald would have had to been the fall guy. And to cover it up. I mean, the fact that, again, that they, it really does look like there was a concerted effort to create a story that flew in the face of the actual evidence uh, and people sticking to that story, you know, in spite of the fact that the evidence was pointing another direction. So, yeah, that sure, sure feels like a conspiracy to me. And here's, here's another fun fact. When John Connolly died, they, his wife conveniently said that there would be no autopsy. And that when he was buried, his grave was sealed with concrete. Holy moly. True fact. Dun, dun, dun. Hmm. Because allegedly there was a bullet that was still, that remained lodged in Connolly's body until the day he died. That's right. And what if it wasn't the same type and caliber as the rifle that, that was hmm. by Oswald? Hmm. Hmm. I feel like my field trip to the grassy knoll in high school was wasted. <laughs> if I had oh, known that I'd be, I needed to pay more attention. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting one and it one, it's one that persists. Um, and, uh, you know, honestly, I'm going to say like, I don't know that we will ever know the full truth uh, about no, but, that. But it's one that persists. Unlike all the other conspiracies is because like so many conspiracies, the, the facts and the evidence are not on the side of conspiracies, but on this one, it's like, yeah, I, I'm not an expert, but from what I understand, bullets don't change direction and go this way and that way. <laughs> and then, and if they do, they ricochet off things. They're not pristine. And, and as far as I know, there's even like audio that, yep. that has been, that has been, um, you know, di- dissected mm-hmm. and, and there's more than three shots yep. from, from what I understand. And this is just like, 
Well, I'm not saying who did it, but when I hear something, it sounds to me like there's more than three shots. Oh yeah, and, there, and like like Derek like there's a Bruder film too, by the way. That's exactly there is, yes. and like Derek said, like when someone gets shot the in the back of the head, it doesn't shoot out the back. Yep, you ballistics, know? bitches. <laughs> Hashtag ballistics, ballistic bitches. It's not, so I'm, all, I'm also, I mean, if if it, if saying that Oswald didn't act alone, there wasn't a lone gunman, makes me. Uh, a proponent of the conspiracy theory. I'm there too. I'm curious. Um, so I heard CIA for um, for Keith. Yep. Yep. And Derek. Yep. And what about you, Matt? Do you have a, a favorite conspiracy theory to lean into around it? Well, I, I, I I'll, let me just clarify. Like, there's no such thing as like the mafia. There's like crime bosses and there's crime families. So I, I, I don't true Italian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have Sicilian heritage, so I'm going to clarify that one. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I if I buy into that one. If it's just one family, if families are working together, no clue. Um, yeah, I guess I've always kind of leaned toward if anyone did it, it'd probably be the CIA. I've heard the Castro one. Um, I don't know of any others. I'm sure there are some, but those are the main three. And if I had to guess, and that's all it would be as a guess, is I'd say the CIA would know something about it. And another fun fact that it is said that Robert Kennedy, because he was the attorney general at the time, that he had some privileged knowledge of what happened, but he couldn't say it because he was, you know, still at the behest of the executive branch of the government. But had he been elected president, that he could have opened this whole thing back up. Yep. And and there's some speculation that he was killed to keep him silent. Yeah. So how do you guys like that? Yeah. Us- yeah, that is, uh, I mean, cause yeah, there's not as much of a conspiracy maybe around Robert, but it is odd. Yeah. That both of them ended up dead. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's, there's yeah, a lot of, up. there's a lot of evidence that says the Sirhan Sirhan couldn't have been the shooter. And that's another thing, but yeah, another show. There you go. That's just a. I've got I've got my handy chart in front of me, and it looks like a yes, 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 yes. Um, Or I I guess yeah. None of us believe that Oswald was the lone gunman. I guess. All right. Well, now can we just say something else? And I know we're pretty much done with this, but you know the other part of it though is that Oswald maintained that he was absolutely innocent, and he doesn't even understand why they arrested him. So there, that's another part of the theory is that Oswald didn't kill anybody; that he was a fall guy. Um, he's someone that they they uh, arrested, and they had a backstory on him to make him look guilty. And this is why Jack Ruby shot him, and so that Jack nothing Ruby would was an FBI informant and a CIA officer. Exactly right. So uh, maybe not only was Oswald not the only shooter, maybe he wasn't a shooter at all. Just to throw in that, you know, just another something to, to play to throw with. That in there. Just play with that. Cute Rod Serling. <laughs> well, and, and and I'll add one last thing. This is one of those ones where I don't think it would take too many people. I mean, it's not to, to be in on it. Like, it's not like Flat Earth where you need hundreds of thousands or millions of people right, in on right, it. Right, right, um, right. I think you could probably pull off an assassination. I mean, we've been assassinating motherfuckers forever. Of course. Uh, so who's to say we couldn't pull off assassinating, you know, a president? And I, when I say we, I just mean people conspiring. I'm not saying who. The United States of America. <laughs> well, we've done we've done our shenanigans oh, in the sure world. I, I will have. say that. That's exactly right. Some sometimes when I do think, sorry, sorry to bring it back to metaphysics, but when I do think about like reincarnation metaphysics, I'm like, oh my god, all these people are going to have so much shit to work out next time around. 
all of them. There's so much work to undo. Karma. Oh, yes. Who oh, wait there? a minute. I think that was the first time Katie cussed on the show. Oh, yeah. Hey, mile marker. All right. Making mile history. Making history. Making history. All right. So um, we're all in agreement there. And uh, I, let's move on to the next one. This is also a fun one. 9-11. 9-11 was an inside job, as the saying goes. Fun fact. I was in the World Trade Center one week before 9-11. Oh, my gosh. That's one week. Wow. I was wow. working there. Can you imagine, dude? Like, what if you you could have been there? That I could have been. been there. And you would not be on this show right now. Who says that Probably. I am? Oh, there you go. Well, it's, I have never met Derek in person. So no. again, that's true. It could be a bot. Oh. Derek's a Russian bot. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to accuse you, Derek, but you weren't planting charges. Were you, <laughs> you know, on those, on those columns, let's see what were you doing there? That's right. There's, there's this thing about controlled demolition. Yeah. And before I get to the controlled demolition that when they design the world trade center, this yeah. was talked about after in the aftermath, that they talked to one of the structural engineers who participated in the design and engineering of the buildings because no one had ever built anything that tall before. Yeah, it's massive. So there was a lot of cutting-edge engineering, and also because of the uh, the relative positions of JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark Airport, that they had to consider the possibility of a plane striking the building. And so at that time, the biggest airplane available was the Boeing 707 which was bigger than, than either the 757 or 767 that were involved in any of the, um, the hijackings. And it carried more fuel. And mm. it carried a different type of fuel that was even more volatile. Mm. And so part of their engineering analysis, the structural analysis was, would the building survive a plane crash? And the answer was an emphatic yes. They were designed to withstand a plane strike. Uh, from hmm, something wow. bigger and badder than actually than what actually hit it. Imagine that. You know what? You were the first person who has ever told me that. Uh, you know, yep. Derek, I've never heard that. But thank you for uh, thank you for that background information. Because, yeah, that's that's good. I mean, the other, here's the other thing crazy about to me about nine eleven is um, there were two planes that struck two buildings, but three buildings fell in pancake fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, there are, as far as I know, there are no examples of, of tall buildings sort of naturally pancaking like that. Like you, that's a controlled demolition. You, you now, can't. Here's, really- here's one thing. Let me throw this out here because, uh, a few years earlier, terrorists had attacked the world trade center before True, and, yeah. and they had set off a, a, a bomb in the parking garage. Now there is some structural engineering train of thought or line of thinking that suggests that perhaps the structure beneath was damaged and that the that the the uh the demolition of the of the twin towers caused a chain of a, a chain of um a chain reaction that caused building seven to fall but here's the thing and i'm just gonna say i'm gonna throw this out here if you guys go back and look at it at the footage you'll see um numerous flashes yes in different in different areas and so if you go back and look at some of the uh controlled demolition some of the famous controlled demolition like in in las vegas for example you'll see the same sort of flashes in the building yep so 
The question is, is if, if the engineers say that a plane crashing into the building couldn't do it, I don't know, maybe that there were terrorist cells ahead of time that went in and planted shape charges in the building and that when the when the plane crashed into the tower, that in order to complete the job, they set off the controlled demolition. Yeah, there had to be one way or the other. There's a controlled demolition. I mean, what brought down the build, those buildings, all three buildings, because building mm-hmm. seven is the one that was not hit by a plane, but still uh, went down pancake style like a controlled demolition. And um, so, yeah, yeah. It, wasn't a, you, it wasn't any planes that brought down if, if, those if buildings. If you think about this, too, that the guys who who the first terrorist act that, that um, exploded in the, the truck in the garage, their vision was to see the towers toppling into the East River. That was their, that was their wet dream, mm. right? It wasn't a pancake demolition. That isn't what they want. They wanted it to fall like an oak. Like a tree. Yep. Exactly. Are you talking about the eight years before? Exactly. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, personally, I don't know how buildings are supposed to fall down anyway, control, controlled or not. And I'm not, I'm not that impressed by an engineer saying that a, a plane can't take it down. Cause they said the Titanic couldn't sink also. But I guess that's another conspiracy as well. That was a different engineer, by the way. Well, yeah. I understand. I, I understand that, Keith. And, and it was earlier um, engineering. Much older. Much Maybe older. he was reincarnated. And one of them is a boat. <laughs> I, I understand. Point being, it's just because an engineer says it doesn't make it necessarily true. Okay, but you know what? There was a study done, and I just saw this report published recently, maybe even this, this past year, um, there was like an independent study of, uh, like, of like structural engineers who looked at the available evidence for, uh, the twin towers and they concluded that it was a controlled demolition. Okay. So we're, we're talking about September 11th, 2001. I'm just keep on remembering my experience that day, <laughs> um, and watching TV. And it's, I, it's one of those things where I saw the replay footage so much that day. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't even know if I saw the second tower fall live. Or later on that day, you know, the whole day is just like this miasma of blur. Uh, kind of confusion, right? To me, I'm sure if, uh, people who are old enough to remember it might might have some similar experiences. And so, if um, if the towers didn't, the conspiracy theory is that the planes didn't take the towers and Building Seven down. It was something else, correct? Yes. Yep. So that something else could be a controlled demolition. Yes. Any other theories? Wait, and, and if it was a controlled demolition, by whom? Well, that's the, and that, there you go. That, that's a good question because there's multiple theories on that. One of them is that we knew about it, similar to Pearl Harbor. We knew it was in the plannings and we did not do anything to stop it. Okay, seven it, minutes of silence. Yes. Yeah, so we, we, we yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in other words, we knew it was going to happen, but we didn't stop it because we saw that it would be a fuel to get us into a war that we desperately wanted to get into in Iraq, which of course the war in Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11, but it it was seen as sort of a convenience to sort of get people riled up and, Mm -hmm. you know, rah, rah, USA, let's go to war. Um, so there's, that's one theory that we knew about it and did nothing. The, the one theory that again, the CIA did it. Um, uh, and by the way, there was a. And Derek, I'm sure you know about this, right? There was a published CIA uh, strategy for, they were going to fly planes into, uh, I think in Florida, right? And mm-hmm. blame it on Cubans. Yep. So we could start a war, right, with Cuba and the Soviet yep. Union. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the CIA had already thought of an exact, almost the exact same plan years earlier. Um, 
and that has since come out. So we know that this is not something a CIA had never entertained before to take planes, take take our own planes, crash them into our own buildings ourselves, but but blame it on foreign powers so that we could go to war with them. That is something a CIA has. Another thing too is that they've done very uh, finite an- analysis on the on the uh, footage of the planes flying in, and the planes are strangely devoid of any livery. Yeah, <laughs> and and actually, yeah, some of the some of the people say too that they didn't. They, they called them military planes because they yeah, said there no were no markings. Windows. There were no markings. No markings. No windows. And so they. There's yeah. some kids. There's some Windows. conspiracies that that the planes didn't even exist. And yes, I've heard that too. That they were actually holograms. Yeah. Uh, that were that were. Uh, Yes, well, they were never I, actually I, pl- real planes. You know that that part. If, if that meant that that's that's a technological stretch. I mean, based on what I know, I mean, to be able to project something like that into the air, it, it, that's um, man, that's a that's a huge lift there. Yeah, that's a huge lift. We would have to have I, 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 the planes, I, I doubt. My personal opinion is that I doubt that they were actually commercial. And uh, what what bolsters that theory for me. Oh, is yeah. the plane that was allegedly shot down in Pennsylvania. There was no wreckage recovered, no remains recovered, yes. none of that. Now, mind you, we shot down a plane, an Iranian airliner, a few years prior to that. USS Vincennes was shot down an Iranian airliner. And there were there was debris and bodies all over the place. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, so, so if we don't have a weapon that is so thorough that it would just absolutely vaporize a jet plane. That that's you know number one. Yeah, and then the Pentagon. It, when I look at the at the footage of the gate where that that took the uh, the footage of what what was supposed to be the plane flying into the side of the Pentagon, that looked like a missile. To yes, me. yes, a and, few feet off the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't and, make and, sense. And again, no bodies, no no. Uh, somebody threw a, 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 a turbine in there, but somebody, some, some engineer had pointed out that this was like an old Pratt and Whitney turbine uh, that, that existed in, in old um, air force tankers that it wasn't used yes. in commercial engines. Yeah. And by the way, so thank you for mentioning the engine because I, there's also footage I've seen uh, video footage from nine 11 of um, there's like a, there's like a jet engine kind of like on the sidewalk in the debris mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, people have pointed out it does not match a, a uh, it's it's too small. It's more, it is more of like a military transport yep. size mm-hmm. one. It doesn't match like commercial jet airliner engines. It is literally yep. like someone drove up and dropped it on the sidewalk and drove away and left it there because it, it doesn't, that's sort of like, what is that doing there? Like, that's not, that's not the, it doesn't match any of the engines being used by commercial aircraft. Yeah. But and, in, and here's um, the thing about that too is that um that the the newer jet engines from from both Rolls-Royce and General Electric they they have a high sur- survivability factor. I mean it, it's like uh, even if a missile blew into it there were there there were there they are so robust that there would be a significant amount of of the engine remaining. Yes. So what I'm I'm curious about this and I know nothing about demolition building structure markings on planes engines like none of that. Um but what do you all, what would you make then of the phone calls we have from uh, United 93? Is that it? From people well, who at, are, at, yeah, from people who at are. The risk, at yeah. the risk of being like the the guy, uh, what is it, Alex Jones that that's, um, you know, railed against the Sandy Hook thing. I don't want to be, I don't want to appear to be insensitive uh, to the families that, that lost loved ones. I don't want to do that. Uh, however, there, there were some, 
inconsistencies about the phone calls. Now, I don't know how you shape or frame that, but it, it, basically it, it, the way it was framed is people said that this is not something my father, brother, wife, daughter would say. Yeah. Oh, wow. So here's the other thing about that, too. Um, even today, now we have better technology today, cell phone technology today than, than existed back then. Um, you, you can't even make a cell phone call at 30,000 feet because the cell phone towers are beneath you and you cannot make a connection. So they were nowhere near 30,000 feet. Right. But, but I'm saying usually it's really difficult to get uh, a cell phone to connect from height, uh, certainly back then. That wasn't something that was, you know, and maybe if you were getting ready to land or something. Uh, but if you were at cruising altitude, you probably couldn't make a phone call. I don't know. I don't know. The only the, the thing that's sketchy to me is, uh, and I'm not saying I, I believe in the conspiracy, but the thing that's sketchy to me is that we found out pretty early on through some IDs in the, in the rubble that they were Afghan from Afghanistan, right? Yes. So of course, and then we, we went to and, <laughs> and then we went to war with Iraq. Of course, and that shit that shit doesn't make sense to me. So <laughs> I'm not wait, saying you, I'm you, not saying you found you found IDs that that are made of something that's pretty volatile. Yeah, I know that's sketchy. And, and that's, it made it through the same heat that melted steel girders. Yes, yeah, I know that, that's I mean, sketchy. You, that's sketchy as fuck. You find IDs, but you don't find a shred of luggage. Right. And, and, and did they find passports from anybody else on the plane or only specifically the terrorists? Like, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm, I'm more along the lines of like, we knew something was going to happen. Yeah. And let it happen and then painted the whole picture so that we can go in, find these weapons of mass destruction, which don't exist. And go to war with Iraq. So I, I definitely agree. We, um, the United States used the event, whether there was foreknowledge or not, to uh, invade Iraq for non-existence weapons of mass destruction. Um, yeah. We're not above using an opportunity, right? No. Twisting it to our, advan- right. you know, to our seemingly totally. advantage. We're not even above creating an opportunity. Or so. creating an opportunity, right? So I, like, I believe all of that is possible. I'm just kind of taking it all in. And it's, it, it, I, for me, it is super hard for me to even speak clinically about the day, about the events and the massive changes that have happened um, in the world since then, mo- mostly not for the better. Um, and the, the the racist things that have happened um, uh, across the world since then, yeah. people have been tortured. And I like, yeah. it's even hard for me. It's even hard for me to engage a little bit in the conspiracy theory because the ramifications have just been so huge, like world, like literally world altering. Yeah. Yeah. So, but so, but I think what I'm hearing though, right, is that the conspiracy theory is that this is um, either not stopped, premeditated, or caused yes. by the U.S. government. Yes. Well, I think the big the big conspiracy is that like the U.S. government is the 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 um, you know the, the director of it all. I don't think it's too much of a conspiracy to say like we used it to our advantage to roll out like a war in the Middle East with a country that had really had nothing to do with it. Right. Uh, something like the Patriot Act, you know, we rolled out these these new laws because of that, and using this as justification. I don't. That's not really conspiracy. That's literally what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I think the conspiracy is that that we knew and were like orchestrating um, part of it, or at least all of it. Well, I mean, if something like this is fodder to usher in 
all of those things because nobody was talking about the Patriot Act and nobody was talking about facial recognition and nobody was talking about advanced airport security. These things didn't exist. Yeah. So, right. so if if there was some incentive to uh, to invoke or institute or implement these things, this was a good segue to that. Right. And well, it rallies people and people become nationalistic. Yep. Oh, yeah. There's a, a lot of good reasons to either do it or to let it happen. Because uh, you know, it also led to the uh, the surveillance state that we're in right now, you know, because yep. in the name exactly. of protecting it. Well, if you've done nothing wrong, you shouldn't, you know, what, what's the big deal if we're listening to your cell phone conversations or tracking your movements? You know, you're, you know, only, only criminals need to be worried about that. Are you telling me that this has led to 5G? No. <laughs> well, for, I don't think 5G record, has anything to do with that. For the record, as someone who is a million mile air, air traveler, I hate having to take my fucking shoes off. Yeah, it is. Remember the days when you can meet someone at the gate? Those are the, that was beautiful. Yeah, I was standing with a sign. And so, in some senses, it was nice to be able to go and do that. In some senses, I'm like, yeah, I'm not getting out of my car. Right. (laughs) I'll pick you up at the sidewalk. I'll pick you up. Remember when you could go to the airport and have dinner? There used to be nice restaurants and hotels in the airport. You can't do that now. Yeah. So I was in, I lived in the Chicago land uh, on on 9 11. I was, I lived there just about a year. And I used to go to O'Hare all the time, and it was halfway between where I lived and where I worked, and meet people and go to the gate. And uh, you know, traveling through O'Hare has always been a nightmare. It was definitely more of a nightmare after after nine eleven. Um, so I'm 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 listening. I'll form an opinion by the time I put it on the on the piece of paper. Um, it's all a little, it's it's mammoth to even comprehend such a such a pivotal moment. In, yeah. in history and we we don't yet i think where i'm going with this one is we don't yet know the full rollout of effects of 9-11 we know 19 years of effects but there's a lot more to come yeah and, and let me throw one more fun fact at you guys because you'll love this that in the complex of the world trade center that the nominal employment or or, or the nominal population of the world trade center on every on any given work day was about one hundred and twenty thousand people. Okay. And yep. of that 120,000, 3,000 died. Yes, there were a lot of people that did just uh, surprisingly did not show up for work that day. Yeah, kind of like the, Ed, the the Edward Murrow building in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Just throw that out there, too. Yeah, and well, then, yeah. One theory we haven't thrown out at all, this whole conspiracy theories, to be responsible for any of the, like, 16 that we've talked about, is maybe the Illuminati did it. Yeah. <laughs> And they're, they're such a special boogeyman for all conspiracy theories. We will be talking about them in the bonus material for bonus. bonus round. Well, what do you mean by bonus, Katie? How are people going to get a hold of that? <laughs> How would anybody listen to that? I'll say it once here, just for the record. So we're transparent. There's no conspiracy theory. But yeah, for all of you who are on uh, on Patreon and patrons and patrons, we love you so much. We will be talking about the Illuminati and who they are and what control they have of us right now mm-hmm. in the bonus material. And all patrons have access to that. So we always give a little bonus round in every bonus. episode. Yes, yes. But before we do all that, I think we need a drum roll to see what our final tally is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, conspiracy. before the drum roll, I need everyone's yes or no on 9-11. Oh, shit. Um, I, I'm, I'm no. 
Really? I'm I'm a no, but I think we used it to our advantage. Don't really me. Don't shame me, Keith. <laughs> I, I, nah, I'm a no too. So thank you for going first with the I, bravery. I thought you I were on the team. I just thought you were on team building seven. I know. I think yeah. I believe a conspiracy, and I I think um it's one of these things where there's enough things to make me scratch my head and say that maybe we maybe we did mm. it, and that that makes me really sad to think that something so horrific could be something that we would not only plan it, but do it. And then just um, like, how do you live with yourself? I, I don't, I don't know the people who did know about it, who I would just come out and say, I think probably Cheney knew about it. Rumsfeld knew about it. Um, and uh, yeah. So I can. Okay. Well, okay. I'll go on record and say we possibly knew about it. I'm not, but I'm saying we didn't orchestrate it. Okay. There you go. That's close enough. Derek. Okay. Derek. I, I'm with Keith. All right. Katie. So now, now we, Katie. Yeah, Katie. No, Katie's with no, me. I'm, I'm a no. I, I, I'm, I'm scratching my head. I'm curious, but can't quite get all the way there. You you need to spend a few hundred hours on YouTube going down and those rabbit holes, you and you, <laughs> you, be you, need to, you need to listen to some more QAnon. That's what you need, Katie. Well, I, Don't be a sheeple. Think, okay, I did my homework. I see what this says. I saw what the Simpsons had to report. Okay, that's about like, now. Can we get the drum yeah. roll now, Katie? Do you have the totals? I do. The person who is most likely to believe in conspiracy theories among our group is Keith. I knew it. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> Keith has three yeses. Sasquatch, JFK, 9-11, and two maybes. Uh, moon landing faked and alien government conspiracy-ish. Maybe. Uh, what was that? Yeah, just maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe on that. So I'm giving us kind of a half point for maybe. So for you, that brings you a total of four. All right. The person least likely to believe in conspiracy theories. Katie. And Katie. Actually, we're tied. We're tied for the biggest sheeple. (laughs) We are. We are. So we're, we are both maybes on the Sasquatch. From what I heard, we were like, but like the, yeah, I I mean, it's possible, but I'm a no. You were a maybe to no. All right. Okay. Okay. So then you're, you're least likely then you were least likely. Your only yes was JFK. So that means I'm the only sheeple in the bunch. Well, you're in the middle. You, you're, you're in the middle. You're moderate. You're moderate because you had two yeses and they were both today. Up until today, Derek, I would have said you were the least conspiracy theory minded among so us. I pulled Damn. ahead today. You, you, pull, you pulled ahead today. So we're at Keith with four, Matt with one, me with 1.5 and Derek with two. Damn. Sweet. I win. I win. Derek's going to have to go back and he's going to have to be, he's going to have to believe in the lizard Lords of the Illuminati to get some bonus points. Yeah. The lizard people. We didn't talk about the lizard people. They're part of the Lords of the Illuminati. I just have one more thing to say about Illuminati. Beyonce. Beyonce. Oh, that's where we're going to get into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Queen B. All right. All right, y'all let's wrap this up. But before we do, just a reminder that we have a website, heretichappyhour.com. And on that website, in addition to the store, in addition to the merch, in addition to the episodes that you can follow, we have a new bookstore. I mentioned it in the top. I'm going to mention it now. Head on over to the bookstore. Get all the books from the former Heretics of the Week and other books that we've referenced. Save yourself some money and help out your favorite motherfucking podcast. We would, we'd also love to see you in our Facebook groups. Join Heresy After Hours is for everyone. We have over 2,000 heretics asking really fun questions. We had a robust discussion 
just yesterday on Gnostics and the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. So be part of these conversations. Yes. Dropping knowledge all over the place and also sharing hysterical memes. And we also have an exclusive group just for members of our Patreon group. So all of our patrons get special access with a small intimate group where we ask um, ask deep questions and talk and figure out what this deconstruction process is all about. That is right. And speaking of Patreon, listen, guys, um, this Patreon thing is really cool. For as little as $2 a month, um, you get bonus content. Uh, we have added new tiers now at, at like $10 a month. You'll also get um, PDFs uh, of our books. Uh, $25 a month, we're recording weekly video, um, you know, like... Uh, each of us will take a turn each week and record sp- uh, specific content on video for you guys. Uh, and then, uh, you know, to go check it out. So it's really cool. You get bonus interviews, bonus podcast footage. Um, and, you know, now you get m- bonus video stuff. It's super cool. And you can find us at patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. Help us support the, the podcast. Help us keep doing what we're doing and um, get a bunch of cool stuff at the same time. And we need you. Like Uncle Sam, we want you to listen to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We want you to listen, like it, and rate it five stars on iTunes. And you can get the Heretic Happy Hour wherever podcasts are available. And, and, I, and I will just say, a lot of people are doing that, Derek, so you're getting through to them. I've noticed we're getting a lot of, uh, a lot of, of ratings and reviews, and I think most of them are pretty good. It's the, it's the Mr. T approach. <laughs>